Hello everyone, and welcome back to the History of Middle-Earth podcast, where we dive deep in the history of Middle-Earth. My name is Phil, and I will be your guide for today's adventure, Back to Middle-Earth. This episode is brought to you by David Fogel. If any of you are Star Wars fans, he has a podcast called the Contingency Plan Podcast, where he covers a lot of topics like The Mandalorian, Rise of Skywalker, and those of you who are into Legends or the Extended Universe, he does a lot of a lot of that as well, and whatever else comes to mind. Again, this is the Contingency Plan Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, so sorry for the delay in episodes. I started off this year super sick with a little bit of everything from the flu to bronchitis to whatever else was going on. And then just technical difficulties, like I didn't have my computer charger for about a month and a half. And other sorts of things like new job changes and training that I'm going through that had me crazy busy and studying like never before. So yeah, it's been a time, but here I am. I am back with another episode for you all. Thank you guys for being so patient, and hopefully you will enjoy it. To start us off today, we're going to go over this coming weeks in Middle Earth history. I have a lot of days for you guys this week, or a lot going on, I should say. I'm going to start with Tuesday, the 25th, in 3019. This is where the company cruises past the Argonath and Camp Parthgalen, and Theodrid, the son of Theoden, is also slain in battle. Wednesday the 26th was the death of Boromir. Merry and Pippin are also captured, Frodo and Sam enter Eminwil, and the three hunters set out to rescue Merry and Pippin. Friday the 28th, Eomer overtakes the orcs just outside of Fangorn Forest, and then finishes off the rest at sunrise, now going into the 29th. Merry and Pippin escape and run into Treebeard. Frodo and Sam capture Gollum, and lastly, Faramir sees the funeral boat of his brother Boromir sail down the Anduin. Sunday, March 1st, the Entmoot begins. Eomer returns and ends up running into Aragorn and, well, the three hunters for the first time. And on that same day, jumping back to the year 2931, was the birth of Aragorn II, King Elisar. Coming back to 3019, Frodo and Sam enter the Dead Marshes, and the three hunters run into Gandalf the White. March 2nd, Gandalf breaks the curse on Theoden, and Frodo and them come to the end of the marshes, and the ant moot finally ends as well. March 3rd, Theoden takes his people to the fortress of Helm's Deep, and that night the battle begins. During this time, the Ents raged their war on Isengard. March 4th, the Battle of Helm's Deep is finished, with Gandalf's return with reinforcements, and Theoden and them set out for Isengard. March 5th, they arise, arrive at Isengard around noon, and later that night is when Pippin steals the Palantir. Last two days will do, March 6th, Aragorn is met up with by the rest of the Dunedain rangers in the early morning, and last day, March 7th, is when Frodo and Sam are taken to the secret hideout of the Athelian rangers, 
Hanathanun. All right, so now for the main topic this week, we are be going to we're going to be going over the Ring Wraiths, aka Black Riders. of men. Then Sauron the deceiver gave to them nine rings of power. Blinded by their greed, they took them without question, one by one, falling into darkness. And now they are slaves to his will. They are the Nazgul, ring wraiths, neither living nor dead. At all times they feel the presence of the ring, drawn to the power of the one. They will never stop hunting you. Sometime after 1697 of the Second Age, Sauron gave nine rings of power to mortal men. For many years, the bearers used the rings to gain great wealth, prestige, and power, becoming mighty in their day, kings, sorcerers, and warriors of old. The effect of the rings caused their lives to be prolonged and to see things of the unseen. But over time, their bodily forms faded until they became wraiths entirely, slaves under the domain of Sauron's One Ring. Not long past, word spread. The dead had been seen walking near the high fells of Rudhauer. The dead? Is it true? Are there tombs in those mountains? When Angmar fell, the man of the north took his body and all that he possessed and sealed it within the high fells of Rudal. Deep within the rock, they buried him. In a tomb so dark, it would never come to light. Yes. Yes, there are tombs up there. Known as the Nazgul, they first appeared around the Second Age 2251 and were soon established as Sauron's principal servants. However, the circumstances of this appearance are not recorded, nor their actions during the Dark Years or even during Sauron's capture to Numenor. Their actions during the War of the Last Alliance are also unknown, but when Sauron was overthrown in Second Age 3441 at the hands of the Last Alliance of Elves and Men, the rays faded into the shadows. Around 1050 of the Third Age, Sauron returned in the form of a shadow in Greenwood the Great, which in turn triggered the return of his servants. It was around TA 1300 when the Lord of the Nazgul gathered evil men and founded the Witch Kingdom of Angmar. From there, he led Sauron's forces against the Kingdom of Arnor in TA 1409. He was eventually defeated in battle in TA 1975, and returned to Mordor, gathering the other Nazgul in preparation for the return of Sauron to that realm. Sauron's first target was the realm of Rudar. After conquering Rudar and replacing the Dúnedain king with one of the native hillmen in the year TA 1356, the Witch King moved against Arthedain, resulting in the death of King Argleb I. 
But Arthedain was not yet defeated, and it managed to maintain a line of defense along the Weather Hills. In TA 1409 came the attack on Cardalon. Also during this time, the forces of the Witch King burned and destroyed the Watchtower of Amensul, a.k.a. Weathertop. After the fall of Cardalon, Angmar's advance was slowed by resistance from the elves of Linden and Rivendell. By TA 1974, Angmar rose again and captured Arthedain's capital of Fornost. And with that, the last kingdom of Arnor was destroyed. A year later, the prince of Gondor, named Ernur, arrived with the intention of aiding Arthedain. However, Ernur arrived too late to be of help in defending Arnor's territories, and his army sought revenge against the Witch King instead. His forces marched against the armies of the Witch King and utterly destroyed them during the Battle of Fornost. With the destruction of his forces, the Witch King fled to Mordor. Despite the complete annihilation of Angmar, the campaign was accounted a tremendous success by Sauron. The territories formerly occupied by Arnor became essentially wilderness, and the Dúnedain rangers alone stood between its people and complete lawlessness. In TA 2000, they besieged Minas Ethel and captured it after a two-year siege. The city thereafter became a stronghold of the Nazgul, from where they directed the rebuilding of Sauron's armies, also acquiring a Palantir for the Dark Lord, during which time it was renamed to Minas Morgul. Indeed, after his defeat in Dol Guldor, Sauron returned to Mordor in TA 2942, and declared himself openly in TA 2951. Three of the Nazgul were sent to his fortress at Dol Guldor to garrison that outpost. In TA 3017, Sauron commanded the Ringwraiths to recover the One Ring of Power from, quote, Baggins of the Shire, end quote. Disguised as horse riders clad in black, they sought out Bilbo Baggins, who, as Gollum had revealed, had the One Ring in his possession. The dwarves of Erebor spoke of a rider who had come to offer Sauron's friendship and ask about the hobbits. As a token of their friendship, he asked for a, quote, trifle, a ring, and, quote, the least of rings, end quote, that the thief had stolen. The Nazgul at this point were dependent on their black horses, stolen from Rohan, for transportation. When they were swept away by the waters of the Bruinen, their horses were killed, and the ringwraiths were forced to return to Mordor to regroup. They reappeared later, mounted on flying creatures, at which point they were referred to as Winged Nazgul. By the conclusion of the War of the Ring, all of the nine Nazgul were destroyed. The Lord of the Nazgul himself was slain by Eowyn with the help from Merry during the Battle of Pelennor Fields. The remaining eight Ringwraiths attacked the Army of the West during the last battle at the Black Gate. However, when Frodo Baggins put on the Ring in the fires of Mount Doom, Sauron ordered the remaining Nazgul to fly with all possible speed to Mount Doom to intercept Frodo. They fortunately arrived too late, with the One Ring falling into the fire along with Gollum. The Nazgul were caught in the firestorm of the erupting mountain and were destroyed along with the Ring. 
given form only through the attire of black cloaks and hauberks of dark silver mail, their original form was completely gone and visible to mortal eyes, since it was just their spirit. Their hypnotic eyes could be plainly distinguished from their dark clothing, and then in a rage they appeared in a hellish fire. Mortal men could not touch them unless blessed by weapons or tools of the ancient elves of the First Age or by the Dunedain, such as the barrow blade used by Mary against the witch king of Egmar. The ringwraiths had many weapons, which included long swords of steel and flame, daggers with venomous properties, poisonous darts, and black maces of great strength. Their arsenal of deadly armaments was not confined to physical means. They also had seemingly magical weapons of devastating power. They were surrounded by an aura of terror, which affected all living creatures. Their breath, quote-unquote, called the Black Breath, was poisonous, and their cries caused terror and despair in all who heard them. Some of the Nazgul appeared to have been accomplished sorcerers and used magic to a devastating effect. The Nazgul existed mostly in the Wraith world, the Unseen, making them extremely difficult to harm. Ordinary weapons would not harm them, and even the weapons of a Numenorean manufacturer would be destroyed if they passed through the Wraith forms of the Nazgul. They could not, however, interact norm normally with the material world. They needed garments and weapons provided by Sauron to give them form. Consequently, they could be defeated by attacks that destroyed their disguises, forcing them to return to Sauron to receive new ones. The Nazgul spread terror in mortal creatures merely by their presence alone. Only spe specially trained horses or the fell beasts of Mordor could bear them. They caused panic and despair in their enemies simply by flying overhead, and only individuals of great courage could face them in combat. Merely being in the vicinity of one could cause disorientation and illness. Intense exposure could be lethal. The Nazgul had poor vision in the material world, but they were acutely aware of beings with the presence in the wraith world, like the wearer of the One Ring and certain elves, such as Glorfindel. Anyone who could see into the wraith world could see the Nazgul as they had appeared in their mortal lives before death took them. The Witch King could also affect matter with his voice, shattering the dagger that Frodo had gotten in the Barrow Downs and weakening the gates of Minas Tirith. Whether other Nazgul could perform simi similar feats, though, is unknown. Only a few of the Nazgul were na are named or identified individually. Their leader was the Witch King of Angmar, and his second-in-command was Kamul. Kamul, the Easterling, was one of the ringwraiths and was second-in-command under the Witch King. He also acted as a lieutenant of Sauron while residing in Dol Guldor. You may recognize him in the movies as the wraith with Easterling-like armor in The Hobbit. He was also the ringwraith that asked Farmer Maggot for directions and chased the hobbits up to the Buckleberry Ferry, almost going into the water. Once the Witch King was slain, Kamul became the leader of the Nazgul up until the ring was finally destroyed.
I am no man. It is said that three of the other Nazgul were Numenorian. And a fun fact for you all is that Andy Serkis, aka Gollum, also did the voice of Kamul as well. And a quote about the Nazgul of the Rings of Power in the Third Age is, The Nazgul, the Ringwraiths, were the enemy's most terrible servants. Darkness went with them, and they cried with the voices of death. End quote. So there you have it, the history of the Ringwraiths. One of my favorite things, actually my straight up my favorite thing about the Hobbit movies is where Gandalf does that little narrative where they go to, he meets Radagast at the grave of the Witch King and well, all the nine um, where they were buried and just he goes through that whole little spiel about their history and being there at that just terrifyingly spooky ruins of where they were kept at one point is like one of it is my favorite part of the hobbit movies i don't know if the extended editions have any more extra little parts on that i believe it does actually but don't quote me on that i just thought it was so cool how they go through kind of the history of the ring rates and the witch king and them and then they kind of show it parts of it you get little snippets of there um, just the history behind it and kind of seeing it played out. I just think it's so cool. Definitely my favorite part of the Hobbit movies. I'm not going to be covering the fell beasts in this episode in particular. They're going to be in a bonus episode on Patreon where we're going to just kind of cover all the different beasts and creatures of Middle Earth. So we're going to save it for that so I apologize if you're really hoping to hear a historical post on them. There is some details on them. I don't remember which episode it is, but somebody asked a question about the ring race and the fell beasts and that it's the f- several episodes back. And I go into some details of what I pulled up on them and the fell beasts more specifically in that episode. If you haven't heard that episode yet, whichever one that it is, you can definitely go back and listen to that, uh, and that should definitely help answer, hopefully, some of your questions. Next week, we will be going over the history of the Lone Lands, and more specifically, Weathertop, or Amansul, itself, as you just heard a little bit about in this episode. No listener questions this week, so last bit of notes before I, we sign off here. If you do want more content, check us out on our website, menacetoeartharchives.com, our Facebook page, History of Middle Earth Podcast. We also have our Facebook group, same name, and that's finally working again now. So everyone who's been joining has been able to gain access to it. And we are on Instagram at History of Middle Earth Pod. And we also have a Discord page where you can listen in, where everyone can go and chat. And those... Uh, with access can listen in on live recordings and kind of send messages and chat as the recording goes on. And that is that history of Middle Earth podcast as well. So that is all for this week's episode. If you liked it, feel free to subscribe and leave us a review. Let us know how we did. Send us any questions that you have 
to ministeartharchives at gmail.com. If you want them read, don't worry, there's no dumb questions, no one's going to make fun of you, or anything like that. So don't feel bad about asking anything you think might be a simple answer or, you know, not super hardcore or lore-related. Thank you all so much for listening, and I hope to see you back next time. Until then, I'm your host, Phil, and you're listening to the History of Middle-Earth Podcast. Podcast.